Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, everybody, and... Welcome to Blizzard Watch, the podcast. It's like Blizzard Watch, but it's a podcast, so I'm not sure why I said it like that. It, it's been an interesting day for me. I'm Matt, and with me this week is my uncanny co-host, Joe Perez. I wanted I to use a different like book. It. I yeah, like I to use, it. I wanted to use a different comic book. And I don't know if the X-Men are actually currently using the uncanny thing, like if they're the uncanny X-Men or if they're just the X-Men, but I always liked that they were the uncanny X-Men. Even before I found out they were just a Doom Patrol ripoff, I always thought it was nice that they were playing up the weirdness of the <laughs> X-Men. Uh, I think Uncanny X-Men might still be going. I don't know. It's been a while since I've picked up a Marvel comic as far as the X-Men go. But it reminds me of a simpler time when I got sued in, from a major publication for playing Uncanny something in a video game. Well, that's not not Blizzard-related, so we won't talk about that today. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, dang, weird. So, Joe, uh, aside from being sued by multinational corporations, what are you up to? <laughs> uh, been doing a lot of leveling as far as my characters go. Uh, we were talking a little bit about that on the pre-show. Uh, currently working through my Paladin, uh, getting him up to 120. He hit 116 last night. Uh, my Pantsless Blood Elf continues his leveling extravaganza. Uh, are you deliberately leveling him Pantsless, or you just yes. don't get pants? No, I just completely... I, it's been a thing. So, way back in... I want to say it was... Was it Wrath? I think it was Wrath. Uh, my friend Carson and I decided that we were just going to queue for every every dungeon, everything together as a duo. And it was going to be a healer and tank duo so that we could always get instant pops. And we were just like, I bet you we can do this pantsless. And I think we, we might have been inebriated slightly. Uh, but it's just become tradition on that character in particular that every, as he levels, he's just pantsless. And when he gets to max level, unless I absolutely need to have gear on, I don't really do anything too exciting with him. He just does it all pantsless. So he's a pantsless blood elf named Bualador. It's great. It's fantastic. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I'm just reminded me of Fox, who was doing everything shirtless. Shirtless, yeah. So, too bad you and Fox weren't in a group together. He we were be, like, at one the, point. The shirtless guy. Yeah, but I meant like while you're both pantsless. 
or you pantsless and him shirtless. We, we were. There's a screenshot floating around somewhere on Twitter. I, I would have to dig back years at this point. But Fox and I grouped, and it was fun. It was great. Okay. I, I wear all my armor. I'm, I'm, although, then again, I'm standing at your shirtless before you right now because uh, I transmog it off. But I, I still wear it. I just transmog it off. And to answer D-Boots in chat, uh, no, literally, I don't have pants in the slot. It's yeah, that's what he means. When he says pantsless, he literally he's he's talking to you much like the, I'm traumatized by this kind of thing because I came up, you know, back from the day. I remember running uh, dungeons. I think it was Steam Vaults. Oh yeah, uh, in BC, and I just I was geared to the point where I could not get rage. Yep. Like I could not yep. get enough rage to do anything because they were not hitting me. So I would like be just desperately like people would take off your pants. Like people would literally say to me, "Go ahead and take off your pants." Then they'll start hitting you again, and you can get some rage and hold threat. I can heal you through it. Don't worry about it. So I would do multiple dungeons not wearing pants. Yep. But but that means I'm traumatized now, and I, I can't do it for fun because to me it is a symbol of of not having enough rage. <laughs> of, uh, of your your rage filled warrior downtroddenness. I remember those days. Those those were horrible. Yeah. It wasn't fun. I, I will <laughs> I will admit that I did not enjoy I did not enjoy the pantsless life. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so aside from Joe not wearing pants, also, I mean, I'm not going to speculate on whether or not he's wearing pants right now. Like if Joe is wearing pants, that's not what we're talking about. That being said, I now try not to picture it because I can't. <laughs> it's in there. Uh, this week, we got a few things to talk about real fast before we get onto them. Their emails. Uh, first one we're going to talk about is basically based on a rumor that was published this week it originated in a in a french gaming publication uh there's been no other sources to corroborate this but the rumor is that blizzard has been working behind the scenes on a diablo 2 remaster this whole time uh along with a company called uh i want to say vicious visions is that it something like that it's another uh another uh the activision studio i could not say the word activision to save my life just then and uh, they're going to apparently, again, according to the rumor, they're going to release this this year, quarter of Q4 of 2020, which, t- to remind you, is six months in total from now. Yeah, like, we just we just finished Q2. Yeah, we're, we're in the middle of Q3 right now. Like, actually, at the beginning of it. Q4 is this year. It's within six months. Uh, by December, you will be out of Q4. Um, and so, because of that, that rumor... People are really excited. People have wanted a Diablo 2 remaster for literally years. Mm-hmm. But the question becomes, one, can Blizzard possibly have one ready to go to that point over, without having made any mention of it, including in the earnings call they just did? Blizzard yeah. did a Q1 earnings call just now. They just did it. And they didn't mention this at all. And that's the kind of thing. It, it's it's extremely hard to justify not telling your investors on an earnings call. And by the way, we're going to drop a major thing yeah. that people have wanted for literal years this year. That's what we've been doing with your money. That's the whole point of an earnings call. The whole point of an earnings call is this is what we've been doing with your money. And this is what money we have made for you. Yeah. And it, like everything about this seems weird. And, and I'm not going to belear it too hard just because, like you've already pointed out, it's a single source. Uh, it's a publication that isn't exactly known for its breaking news. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not possible, but if if anything were to be anything with like a Diablo 2 remaster, 
I mean, there's no way in Heckfire that we're probably getting a, a release of it this year. We'd be lucky if by, by by the end of the year we get an announcement of it. Which is what some people have speculated is actually going on. Some yeah. people have speculated that there will be an announcement in Q4. And that would make more sense. That would be more likely to happen. If they were doing a Diablo 2 remaster, which they could be doing. I hope I'm sorry, are. I shot up. I shut up to interrupt, so stop interrupting you. So if you go, no, I was gonna say I hope I hope that it's something that they announce. But it also the the thing that and this ties into one of our other topics that we'll talk about uh, in a moment is if BlizzCon gets pushed back and it is a virtual BlizzCon and it happens in Q4, which I think it will, then that would be a perfect time to announce. By the way, we started working on this and showing like you know doesn't have to be a whole lot but maybe some concept art or some of the rework things or, or things like that and that would be something that would get people genuinely excited uh it would be super big and it would make people happy and i honestly think that and, and i hope that after everything that happened with warcraft 3 reforged that they take their time they cross the t's and dot the i's and don't rush it because as mad as people were about Warcraft 3 Reforged, and there's a lot of people still mad about it, Diablo is almost like a sacred text. Diablo 2, you don't mess with that. If if that doesn't release perfectly, I I could see riots. Like, legitimately. And it's funny because one of the things about Diablo 2 that isn't really commonly known is that it was a house fire to make that game. Yeah. That game was made in a stumbling, drunkard fashion where the, the studio, just before Blizzard bought the studio that became Blizzard North, mm-hmm. the studio was on the verge of utter bankruptcy and hadn't paid its payroll taxes. Yeah, I actually... That's, and when they got in... Oh, go, go ahead. I was going to say, I actually interviewed Bill Roper years ago, and he was very candid about all of that. <laughs> he, he, he did not hold back at all. But you are and absolutely when, right. Yeah. When you take that, that's bad enough. There's no source code to Diablo 2. Nope. Because, and this one comes from Max and, and, and Eric Schaefer, um, and, and David Brevik has mentioned it a couple yep. times too, but he, he, David Brevik was usually pretty coy about it, just saying, well, it'll be hard. Max but was pretty upfront the, about it. The Schaefer's, they were at uh, Path of Exile Con, I want to say, like, this year or late last year. I can't remember exactly when the con happened, but... When they were there, they made the point that they had, like, literally, they, they had had a corruption error and lost all of it. And the only reason Diablo 2 came out on time was because people had taken home previous versions of the game yeah. to test. And so they could go and rip stuff out of those. Yeah, like and the version. It. The version that we got in the collector's edition to Diablo 3 was that's how they got it. Because yeah. they, they got it from somebody's archive that they had laying around at home from an early version. It wasn't even a final release version. No, they, they literally had to take that and then rip it apart to get all the, the assets out of it to make the game even happen. So there's no source code for the completed Diablo 2 out there. Um, that doesn't mean they couldn't still do it. Because, like I said, they have the game. They could sit back and re-engineer the whole thing. And they might have been doing that this to. entire time. Maybe and, they have. And they, this they is, could even go as far as to say, you know what? That whole Final Fantasy VII remake thing worked out really well. Just remake the whole freaking game. Which I could see them doing. And here's here's the interesting thing. Um, I know, f- and I don't know if this was the case when you were there, but I know for a long time, 
when people were coming through and visiting, even other teams at Blizzard weren't allowed in the in the Diablo wing, essentially. Like uh, I, I did get there. to go to the Diablo wing. Okay. Uh, I didn't. I didn't go in. Uh, I went to that wing, and, and actually, there's a little office that I went to near it. That's as close as I got. I did not actually go in, but that keep in mind, I was there like the day before BlizzCon. Yeah, and that's the BlizzCon where they announced Diablo Four. So there's, it was not surprising they were not letting people in. Yeah, and, I'm just, and, I was just gonna say like it, it's possible that not only Diablo Four, they could have also been working on that. You know, you never know. It, well, they went they back in 2015. Um, this is something that we did a post about it today, and, and Liz mentioned it, and we covered. Back in 2015, they were hiring people for the express purposes of remastering Diablo Two. Mm-hmm. Like they have been hiring people and and mentioning refurbishing or re reengineering that game for years. It's been five years. Our site was new. Like Blizzard Watch had just started the first time they started. Some they were talking about this. Yeah, I remember that. So it's not. It's not the fact that they announced the remaster that is the weird thing. It is the specific timing and need you know in order for this rumor to be true these things would have to be happening and that's what feels weird and off about it and, but and it's sort no of like orders no anything like we're in yeah. we're in pre-order territory right like six months that's if this yeah if the game is coming out then you would have pre-order things happening uh, again if it's just going to be announced this year then then it's a much better place could it be true well heck i mean even you know even a flailing wild guess is right sometimes. Yep. You know, um, and people were predicting Diablo 4 at BlizzCon every year for like four years. <laughs> yeah, and they were. This says this from the guy who predicted it in yeah. 2018. Because, uh, I mean, and to be fair, it really felt like there was a comic book starring Lilith. There was a whole bunch of stuff. There was a lot like of momentum. Yeah. Yeah. I really thought that we had a, we had we had Diablo 4 sign. Um and, and keep in mind, too, one of the things, before we move on to BlizzCon itself, because I do want to talk about that, one of the things to keep in mind, too, is that Diablo Immortal is, is going into testing this year. Yeah. Like they, they said, they, they mentioned it. Again, Diablo Immortal, which is practically the invisible ghost of Blizzard properties, they mentioned it on the earnings call. If they're mentioning testing for Diablo Immortal on the earnings call, this makes me very suspicious of them not mentioning Diablo 2 at all. Yeah. If they're going to do it. But... It is going into testing this year. Diablo Immortal is a direct sequel to Diablo 2. It picks up like literally like five years after Diablo 2, and its storylines are all about what happened in Diablo 2 and the effect it had on Sanctuary. If you're doing that game, it's not a bad idea to have a remastered Diablo 2 out there for people to go play. Oh, yeah. If they like, what what is all this? Instead of like, here's a here's a brief breakdown of the lore of the Diablo series. It'd be here's Diablo two, go and play it. That'll explain what you need to know. So, I'm not saying that they aren't doing this, and I'm not saying that they they have not been working on it, and I'm not saying they're not going to come out with it, and I'm not even saying that the the leak is wrong. All I'm saying was until I see something else, mm-hmm. I am going to be over here, uh, just kind of not getting excited because. I've been burned too many times with the Diablo property. Yeah. I have been excited that it's going to come out and then it didn't come out. And I'm, I am not going to get excited until I like, until I'm literally like watching the big trailer and going, <gasps> and you know, quite frankly, yeah. I want them to do a Diablo two, uh, a remaster just to see the cinematics. Yes. Yeah. No, for, for real. And like the cinematics at the time were phenomenal, right? 
Like, oh, yeah. And they're still pretty good by even today's standards. Like, they're not bad at all. It depends on where you are in them. Anything that shows you Marius's face really yeah. needs a revision. Sure. But most of it, well, like the wide shots and everything, well, those are great. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the place is on fire. Everything's crazy. Yeah, but, but yeah, there, there's definitely, there, they could be cleaned up. But, okay, we're going to move on to BlizzCon now because we really have two different subjects to talk about here. The first is, is BlizzCon going to be online this year and, and maybe only online? And the second is, if they do, what are they going to show us? What's going to be featured? Uh, let's talk about the first one first. Joe, what do you think about the subject of an online BlizzCon? I think it's very, very likely. I think it moved closer towards uh, in the likely column versus hopeful, just based off of looking at the con circuit in general. Uh, one of the biggest cons for miniature painting and production and, and stuff, uh, ReaperCon literally just announced that they're going full virtual. And they've already made everything for all their classes and everything like that. So if they can do it, there's no way that a technology titan like Activision Blizzard couldn't pull off a fully functional, 100% uh, interactable bl virtual BlizzCon. And I think the closer we get uh, to the summer, I think the announcement of it being virtual is more and more likely. Yeah, just so people understand why we're, we're talking about it at all. Um, you may have heard of a little convention called the San Diego Comic Con. Mm -hmm. People kind of like it. It's it's okay. It's it's the largest uh, comic book and related media convention in the world, with like I think literal millions of people coming in and out. And it's canceled this year. Yeah, it's, it's straight canceled. up canceled. Yep, not, they not just virtual nothing canceled. So the Emerald City Comic Con pushed back to I think june or july if and, if they're lucky and that's a tentative right yeah if they actually end up going at all but they push back um one of my favorite littler conventions PaizoCon. i've never actually gotten to go but i always thought it was cool PaizoCon has gone full online this year mm -hmm. and there's the home cons which are happening which is was kind of like not any it's not a previously existing convention it's literally just conventions made to be online for people so you can still get some kind of the convention fix. Uh, so, so this is happening in other places. I, I definitely think it's a, an option with, since we've already had the virtual ticket going for years, it's certainly something blizzard could probably do with minimal disturbance. There are elements of it to consider. Um, one of them is the fact that the concept of demos, because I mean, people have been saying, you know, can just put it on the uh, launcher the way they did the war, the wow classic one, but the wow classic demo was designed to be on the launcher. Yeah. For one thing, it was a test of putting WoW Classic on the launcher. Uh, that was something they were doing when they did that. I remember when I went to BlizzCon 2019 that the Diablo 4 demo was, was a lot of things. It was great. It was fun. It was not a real game. Like it, you knew playing that, okay, this is fun, but this is very clearly the very first steps of something that they're going to bring out much later in a different form. This was put together so they'd have something to show at the con. And that is not the kind of file they're going to want to put on the launcher because the second MMO champion or Wowhead get their hands on it. Data mine. Yeah, the wild rumpus will commence. And they can, only, they can stop that by encrypting it, but you can't run it encrypted. I have a solution for that. You want to stream it. I know. I know where you were going to go with it. I knew yeah, you would say that. And it makes a certain amount of sense because it's a minimal... Minimal impact. You can control how long people are in it. You can do it based off of ID and login. 
there's already a virtual connection through the launcher to the data servers that they have in place, they could do it. And Blizzard, if you're listening, I'm more than happy to come out there and architect it for you. Just let me know. Uh, but it's something that they could do, and it would solve a lot of those problems. One, because you're not actually pulling any any data to your system. You don't get to download or see any of the files. They get to control the gateway and what they get to see through that through basically a virtual console. They could do this. And it's it, it, would it be a little bit pricey for them? Maybe. But then they'd have the infrastructure in place to do that in the future. And I'm also thinking about if they go back to having like physical conventions, how much easier that makes it for them too, instead of having to make sure that it's installed on 100 PCs or distributing via like SCCM or whatever that they're using for it to, to push out the packages. If they just tap in from a named computer to a central system and stream it, it makes their lives and setup easier too. And I know that's got its own complications, but I could see them doing that. And it could be cool. Sorry, I'm really into virtualization. It's a it's a yeah. big thing. <laughs> but I mean, his point is valid. That you, you could definitely do that if you wanted to move demos. Uh, in terms of tournaments and esports, that's kind of a no-brainer. We've they've been setting up, I remember back in like 2010, they set up uh, online tournaments with tournament servers. So that's not a problem. You can set that up real easy. You could do that from pretty much anything that they'd be doing, like a Hearthstone tournament. Oh, yeah. You could do that for Overwatch. You could do it for, like, the WoW dungeon stuff uh, and the arena stuff. You could absolutely do it for that. There, I mean, Heroes of the Storm is not particularly well represented anymore, but you could absolutely do it there if you wanted to. Th- that's not an issue. I feel like that is, like, the easiest. That's the slam dunkiest of online propositions for this online convention. Oh, yeah. Agreed. The, one thing we do have to worry about is you are going to be losing some stuff. You're not going to have the feeling like I don't think you do the comic, the costume contest at all. And that would be a shame. Well, I mean, they could. They, when you get to the point where you have everybody at home showing their costumes to a webcam or whatever, it is not going to have that feeling. It is just. Yeah, not. I'm not going to. I don't and, disagree with that. I agree. It's not going to have the same feeling. I'm just saying they could still do it in some capacity, though. Yeah, I just it feels like once you start going that route, like a musical guest the various the, stuff around the con that isn't really a panel, like going to the dark moon fair or just hanging out and eating with your friends. The social aspect of it is going to be very different. Yes, and that's just, that's just a, a consequence. And also in the past, the virtual ticket has not had every panel. Yes. Even, that's correct. even when with the most expansive coverage, which was last year, last year's virtual ticket was crazy. It covered a ton of stuff, but it didn't cover everything. We always end up with these smaller panels that, that still get plenty of attendance. I went up to the Overwatch one that, that still had like a couple hundred people at it, even though it was a smaller panel. And that happens. That's just that's just the nature of it. I think doing a virtual con, you basically have to set up, okay, we're only going to do these panels. because. And here's the other thing that, that someone mentioned, I think, in the comments to the post I did, that a lot of those panels thrive off of audience participation. Mm-hmm. And that is something that is going to be very different if you're streaming it and you're doing it online. It's just, it's very hard to participate meaningfully with like, say, 750,000 people at once. Oh, yeah. It just, it is, it is. But none of this is a stumble. None of this is impassable. None of this makes it impossible to do. It just means that this is going, if they do do an online convention, it is going to be a very different animal than BlizzCon has been in the past. Agreed. 
But I argue from my own perspective when I wrote, wrote the article, and I, I'm sure Joe will probably agree, but we'll let him speak for himself because if I don't, he, he might, you know, take his pants off. And that would be bad. <laughs> um, it wouldn't be bad. If he has pants off, you're like, they can't see you. Uh, I'm not wearing a shirt right now. Uh, but anyway, I think it would be a, a, be a better move to go to a virtual or online only convention than to do nothing. Because BlizzCon is a huge part of not just Blizzard's year, but of the fan community's year. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we wait for this, this convention. We wait for the reveals. It's a big deal. It has only gotten bigger over time. I, I think last year's was amazing. And now uh, the pop, the pop when they announced Diablo 4 last oh, year yeah. was like, you know, crazy. So my, my take on it is better to do it virtual than to not do it and at all. And here's the other another thing, and, I, and I've talked about this in the past, and I'll bring it up again here now because I think it's also important. This is a really, really good opportunity for them to start overcoming some of the hurdles that they've mentioned that they want to overcome in the past, and the, namely access. Access for disabled or, or otherwise impaired folks is sometimes really hard with conventions. And yes, you can have access ways and things like that, but you know, do you have safe spaces for anxiety triggers? Do you have, you know, everything for, for all sorts of the sensory problems, uh, or any mobility problems? Are they all covered? Like you don't because it's impossible to in person on a scale that massive, but something like this, taking the time to make a virtual experience that is elevated from what they already have which is great the virtual ticket is fantastic but elevating it that much more now gives access to all those people that can't travel that can't go to a convention for future conventions and yeah it it, it sucks and they might they don't get to have all that full social aspect of it but at the same point they get to experience more than they did before potentially i think that they should go for it full send and figure out how to make this the best virtual con experience that they can. One thing I, uh, when I first went to BlizzCon way, 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 way back, one of the things that always floored me is compared to all the other conventions, BlizzCon was so in tune with giving this fan experience, this wow factor, this overwhelming sense of like awe when you walked into the doors for the first time, when you got to interact with the, the folks that work behind the scenes for the first time, or, you know, even just meeting your guildies or, or people that you've gained with for the first time, it was this, this overwhelmingly great feeling that not a lot of the other cons had. They were, to me, Blizzard was the first to really nail that as far as I'm concerned, like that level of interactability. Now they could do it again. They could become a pioneer in the virtual con space. And I really want them to. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that, you know, as conventions go as a dude who is impaired, both due to anxiety in crowds and I'm blind, I'm legally blind. I can't see it all on the right side of my face. Um, I, I did feel like BlizzCon did a lot to be accessible, but there were obviously there's some stuff that just isn't and can't be like, it's very hard to make like a, a snaking line that doubles back in on itself, like 18 times to get 300 people from one place to another. Yeah. That that's going to be a bear. It just, there are, there are ways that this, to this move would definitely be better for that situation. Um, but we should talk at least a little bit about what we think we're going to get to see there this year. 
um, before we move on to doing emails or whatever. Uh, the, the reason that I want to talk about what we're going to get at BlizzCon this year is because we really have no idea. We, we know that Shadowlands will be coming out in Q4. Will it even be out before BlizzCon? We have no idea. It could come out the weekend of BlizzCon, for all we know. And I, I don't think they would do that because the simultaneous worldwide launches they've been doing for, for the last couple expansions are enormous affairs that require mm-hmm. a ton of work. And people like all hands on deck, everybody in that team is there getting it, making sure that, you know, any fires are put out and any calamities. As I, I know Joe knows better than me. You know, they, these are enormous yeah. undertakings. You're not going to do that and then go to BlizzCon the next week. No. <laughs> you know, so uh, I feel like the, like that's an issue. Uh, so we don't even know. Like Shadowlands, will it come out in October? Will it come out in November? Will it come out after BlizzCon? Are you going to make BlizzCon and then immediately have your you know service team? Okay, you didn't sleep for a week and a half. Now don't sleep for another two weeks. <laughs> um, so are they going to do it in December? Uh, are they going to do it like the very earliest part of October? We don't know the answers to any of these questions that we're asking. Um, but that's one possibility. If, if Shadowlands doesn't come out by BlizzCon, what are they going to just talk about Shadowlands? I, are they going to talk about the next patch? I'm going to shut up now and let you talk, Joe. What do you think they're going to talk about? So I, I think if there is a, a BlizzCon of any capacity this year in any format, it's going to have a couple things. We're going to have more Overwatch 2 because we got an announcement for it, but we're going to start seeing more of it. We're going to probably start seeing playable scenarios, possibly new characters, uh, things like that. Those are that's that sort of to me is a no brainer. Right. Um, We might see some new minor Heroes of the Storm stuff. Uh, but we've talked about it being a long forgotten game, so it'll probably be new skins, maybe a new champion if we're lucky or hero. Probably not. Um, you're going to have a ton of your Shadowland stuff. I actually think that if they push the convention back far enough that the big announcement for WoW is going to be Shadowlands releasing directly after the convention. Like, I think, I think if they do this and push it back far enough, that's almost a no-brainer for, for me that I would expect them to see. Um, I would expect to see maybe some more Diablo 4 uh, news as far as, like, playability, uh, how the classes are going to work, maybe some more stuff. Because when you played, it was really, really limited, wasn't it? It was like just one. Was three th- three of the supposed five classes. We still don't yeah. know what the two new classes are. Uh, but three of the five classes and like 25 to 30 minutes at most of actual content. Yeah. And if they're doing anything with like skill trees or anything like that, which I think they've mentioned before, like there's a lot of stuff that they could have and, and have on display. I think Diablo systems is going to be a big thing, especially now that we're a year past when it was announced, we've gotten so much more in between and they've, they've talked about a lot of like a lot of it. in I don't want to say not concrete terms, but they've sort of like not really committed to anything. That would be the time to commit. And I think that if I was in the position of blizzard and this was something we were actually working on, I would announce that Diablo 2 remaster at BlizzCon as sort of the big, we know you love Diablo. We know we're working hard on Diablo 4. We're going to give you something else too. We've started working on a remaster. That would be, and then 
a Hearthstone expansion in there because there's almost always a Hearthstone expansion. Yeah, the Hearthstone team are, are beasts, and they almost they always have an expansion. Yeah, it's a thumbs up. If you are on the Hearthstone team and you feel like we don't love you, we, we do. We do. You're insane. But that would be that would be my predictions. So there you go. Yeah, I think you hit pretty much everything I'm thinking. I expect, I'll be up front, I expect to hear something about the first patch of Shadowlands because we know that the first... There's one raid that we currently know about, Castle Nathria, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So I expect we'll hear about like the first patch and how the story moves forward and any of the major characters from that. Much like we, we you heard about Ashara beforehand. So yeah. I, I expect that kind yeah. of thing. But otherwise, I think we're pretty much on the same page. Um, so uh, there's one more story we were going to talk about. I think we're getting kind of short on time for emails. I do want to make sure we try and get through all of them. But I will still mention this story really fast because I think it's interesting and it has a lot of possible ramifications. Uh, Overwatch released its competitive open queue. I, I think they've already released it, but they, it may not have yet. But the way it works is you can play as any hero without roles. So you just queue up and play. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, no, the classic, the old one, right? Yeah, the way it used to be. And one of the things that got me thinking about is Joe and I talked last week about scenarios and about, you know, content that reduces the need for a queue or a queue timer. And I honestly, this has got me thinking maybe they're actually getting receptive to the idea of bringing scenarios back mm-hmm. because it's a very similar idea. Like instead of having a tank, a healer and three DPS, you would just be like, you know, okay, there's five of us. Let's go. Um, so is, do you think it's a, a it's just a, a case of them re- reverting something or bringing back something that Overwatch used to have because people wanted it or what? What, do you, what are your thoughts on it? I don't really have a whole lot of thoughts. I don't do a whole lot of Overwatch uh, competitive ever. I think I've done like 10 matches total. It's just not my scene. But I like the idea. I like the fact that it is opening uh, and letting you play as any hero without roles. Um, and it's something that I think if they should borrow for a while. And we've seen a perfect willingness of them to do that with other things. Look at Transmog. Transmog was a Diablo thing. Then it became a a, a WoW thing and how big that became. Uh, They'll borrow from each other, and this is one that I think they should. They should look more at those scenarios, look more at uh, open queue for dungeons and raids, and I uh, I think it would be great. Okay, and that covers pretty much everything I was going to say too, so we can move (laughs) on to then their emails and so forth. If you have an email for the show, uh, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch so we know it's for this show. Um, we also take questions from our, our, our Discord server. There's a, a patron Q and podcast questions channel, and you can ask them in there. You can ask for this show or Blizzard Watch in that channel. You just specify which one you want it to be. Um, and, yeah, we also get Patreon questions sometimes. We didn't get any for this show. We did get a couple for Lore Watch, um, and we are paying attention to that. And Joe's going to watch the chat as we're streaming this. And if anything jumps out that feels it needs to be discussed or addressed, we'll, we'll try to jump on those too, uh, as he did during the pre-show. Um, and he did a really good job in the pre-show. This is why I'm mentioning it now, so he knows that we noticed that he did a good job. Uh, Joe, do you mind reading for us so we can get on with this? I, I can't read them because I'm blind, guys. I got I got it covered. I'm, I'm happy to be your eyes, Rossi. All right. This is from Furnight. Uh, question for Blizzard Watch. Will the Covenants harken back to the faction system in Burning Crusade? I never really got to play it, uh, so I am looking forward to being able to level through the whole x pack in Shadowlands. Uh, thank you for all your work. You keep me interested in the game on the duller days. For night, Belf Priest of Sarfang. 
What do you think? Um, it's not. I mean, if, I'm assuming you're talking about the Aldor and Scryers. I think that's this is way yeah. more. This is way more. Uh, this is much more like if you did Legion and you you had you didn't get a chance to pick. You just you were a priest, so you had the priest order hall quest. This is like imagine if instead of that there are just four there were four options, but you could pick between one of the four. It's like that. Um, the the soul binding mechanic is is all tied up. The covenants each give a specific power that you'll use in Torghast as well. It's it's far more detailed than the Aldar Scryer stuff was. The Aldar Scryer stuff really came down to a few pieces of gear and some enchants. And that was it for game effects. It was basically just a choice you made, and then you, you had one part of the city locked to you and one part of the city open to you. And that was really it in terms of effects compared to this. Uh, this, this is much more effective. In chat, right. D-Boots D- brings up a very interesting point, though, too. In Burning Crusade, and, and this is where I think another divergence is, and I agree with D-Boots, uh, in Burning Crusade, if you chose Alder, the Scryers would hate you and attack you if you went to their location, and vice versa. Uh, yeah. Shadowlands doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing. The factions don't necessarily hate each other and attack on sight. No, uh, at least as far as I know as of yet. I have obviously not gotten to pick a faction yet because that's not on the alpha yet. But no, it's 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 much more. Again, it's like the Legion stuff, where you know, in in Legion, if you were like a member of a class, you got that class's story. Effectively, you were just naturally a member of your class's faction because you were a member of your class. Whereas this time, you get to pick one of the four, and you you can pick any of them. You know, even if like you're if you're a Death Knight, you don't have to pick Mildraxis. You can pick any of the four. And same for your warrior or your, you know, mage, your your mage or your warlock or what have you. It isn't they they don't have the, the restriction of well, you know, I'm I'm playing a druid, so I'm going to hang out with the druids now. But it's it's much more like those those uh, order halls than it is like the Burning Crusade factions. Yeah. But when I said that the city got locked down for one part got locked down to you, that's what I meant that they would attack you if you attempted to go up on their thing. I don't think that the like there was. I don't remember. Did, did you get attacked if you went to the wrong bank? Yeah. Okay. I never went into the wrong bank, so I never had that experience. But I did all the time. <laughs> I was really bad at remembering what what bank was which. <laughs> yeah, I think I, the, the 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 Aldor bank just happened to be like really close to where I went naturally anyway. So I just constantly just went to the Aldor bank, and I never went to the Scryer bank, so I didn't have the problem. And the one character I had who was a Scryer, I don't think he ever went into this bank at all. Uh, I think I don't know know why he was a scryer. I remember that he was. I think he was he was a scryer because I liked where the scryer base was in Shadowmoon Valley. That's the other difference that is a little bit more like what we're talking about. The uh, Aldor and the scryers had different bases in Shadowmoon Valley, and the scryer base was further to the south and was closer to. If you were doing the grind for the Netherwing, it was closer to that. Yeah, which I think I remember I that. Picked that character. But yeah, it, it, to to answer you, I think we're both in agreement here. Not particularly like the Burning Crusade stuff. All right. So our next one comes from Stellar Leader. Hi, while listening to the latest Lore Watch podcast, an unusual question came to me. Do you guys think Blizzard will be able to give us a good explanation for everything we're wondering about? Uh, as much as I'd love that to be the case, I am not sure it is even possible to give a satisfa- satisfactory answer to all of our questions. Um, it's bad for business if they answer all of our questions. Like, it, yeah, the mystery is is part of what keeps players coming back. At least, like, 
we wouldn't be able to tinfoil hat if they just came and said, hey, you know, it's this. It's it. It's blue. It's not red. Well, for that matter, too, there's there's an, a point someone made relatively recently talking about how game franchises work and how fan interest works. There's a certain truth to the idea that it's the stuff that they don't tell you about that that becomes fascinating to you, that pushes you forward. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff around the edges that you never really get a complete answer to is often more compelling. And by the time, I think it was a discussion of Star Wars and talking about how in the original Star Wars trilogy, there was all this stuff in the background that you didn't know about. And even when you did learn a little bit about it, you only learned the vaguest details. And it's it's when it becomes explained and explored that it also becomes less mystical, less like, you know, ooh, what's that guy's story? Oh, it turns out he was kind of an angsty teenager. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and it's not even that it's bad. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen a really good defense of the, the Lucas prequel trilogy the other day that, that made some good points. But the point being is just with any franchise of this type, an attempt to explain literally everything is misguided. You should explain it, stuff when it provides you with story elements to tell a good story, not just because everybody wants to know, so here's all the details. Let's look at Chronicle as a really good example, right? Like, we have three volumes, which I think they weren't originally planning three volumes. I think it just kind of happened. But for as many things, and we've said this many times since Chronicle's released on... I believe uh, Anna Rossi on this one, and we've mentioned it on Lore Watch uh, at least a dozen times, if not more. As many answers as we get from Chronicles, it opens up more questions, and that's good. Anytime they explain something, they explain it, but it usually leads to something else that isn't fully explained, and it's like a jumping-off point. It's like closing story threads. When they're done with something, sure, they can explain what happened and move on. But until that point happens, maybe they don't even know where it's going to end. Maybe it's they haven't made a decision yet or they haven't figured out exactly where that narrative point is going to come to a draw. We've seen this over the years, like Burning Crusade. There was the the missing diplomat or missing diplomat quest or was it the missing missing? We're talking about the varying quest. It started as a varying quest, wound up taking you all the way to Outland with the forges and then just stopped. Oh, no, that was two different things entirely. The thing that took you to Outland was actually at the end of Nax, and it wasn't even a quest. It was just a mention. They mentioned that the yeah. lost child of the, of the Ashbringer no. was somewhere out there in Outland. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, the, 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 the lost smith or whatever it was. Yeah, but like, and you went looking for, you went looking for clues, and, and it, he wasn't there. He never had been there, it turned out. It was just it's. They did that a lot. They did that with the quell the, with the quell sarar and the chromatic blades and the mm-hmm. and the idea that there was a chromatic quell sarar. Never, nothing ever happened there. They never came, nothing ever came of it. And that happens sometimes. And actually, that's kind of a good thing. Having stuff in the game that does not only doesn't get explained but doesn't really ever feature in, it keeps that stuff relevant. Imagine if we'd gotten Ashbringer as a as a artifact like way the heck back. It wouldn't have been as cool for people to get it in Legion. Mm-hmm. It's okay to pay off eventually, as long as you leave yourself room for new stuff to come in and pay off. Um, one of the downsides, actually, of certain weapons having been legendaries, like, for instance, Sulphuros or the Warglaze of Azanoth, was then they weren't available to be artifacts in Legion. And I know that that, 
some people were pretty sad about that. Like, you know, you couldn't get the warglaves on your death knight. That's why they made a cosmetic quest so you could get the transmog for them. And that was the first time a legendary had ever been transmogable. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that led to other legendaries eventually becoming transmogable as well. I think it was that idea that, you know, if you have this cool lore filled weapon, you should be able to use it. So I think, I think in general, I, I don't, fault them for wanting to explore their lore. I think that's great. I just think that it's not a bad idea to always keep a little something in reserve or to, as Joe said, talking about Chronicle, to have every question to, in the words of Hermes Conrad, that just raises further questions. You know? <laughs> that, that I think is a good way to go. Yeah, I agree. All right. Our next one. Oh, wait, he did ask a second question that we didn't answer. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Go ahead. You should answer it first. Uh, so the follow-up question, is there anything you'd be okay if it remained permanently unanswered? Anything? Like, I, I, there's nothing in the game that burns so bright for me that I have to know the answer as long as not knowing the answer serves a purpose, right? Like, if it's, for whatever reason, uh, it fits the narrative that the, that the, the question never gets answered, I'm fine with it. A-okay. Uh, nothing from my perspective, absolutely positively 100% needs an answer. What about you? Why did that chuckle hump Ordos not drop my shoulders all these years? <laughs> I knew <Why>? it. <laughs> the same reason that I couldn't get the dark shaman transmog for 400, 483 days. Yeah. But I mean, to, to, to be answer you seriously. Uh, yeah, pretty much anything. I, th- I think, I mean, I only want them to answer stuff if they've got a good reason to, and not a good yeah. reason to, as in, you know, a good reason to, as in it they came up with a cool story they want to tell. Yeah. They, they are looking at this and we're like, Ooh, what if we went there and did this, then go ahead and explore it. Uh, I I'm fine. If we never see Koresh, if there's not a reason to go to Koresh. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to go to Koresh. Sure. I mean, you know, the, the guy, the lore maniac in me would love to see all this stuff, but I want to see it if, and when, it provides a good game story. It, it gives us something cool to do, something to see. Otherwise, you know, we don't do. Do we desperately need to find out that Anduin Lothar had a secret child? No. If there's a story around it, if the character shows up and is cool and interesting, and we want to see more of that character, the the I like to call that character that doesn't exist the Garage Hell Scream of the Alliance. Uh, then, by all means, but. If there's not a reason to do it, then don't do it. You know, I, I'm fine with mysteries being out there. So now we can move on to the next one, which doesn't have a name associated with it. So I apologize. If this is yours, let, let us know. Uh, it starts with vampires. I want more vampires and wow. I'm so happy about Shadowlands. Do you think there's a connection between the Venthyr and the Blood Princess from ICC? Uh, probably a really good chance of that. If yeah, for- um, <laughs> you know that the Lich King could see into the Shadowlands, yeah. and so very it's very possible that the Blood Princes and I don't I don't know what they're called. I know they're called something Dark Fallen or something. I know they the have Dark a Fallen. specific name, yeah. but they may very well have been modeled after the vent there. Like he may have been copying what he saw. Uh, San Lan or yeah, San Lan. Yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah. Thanks, thanks to Hex. But yeah, in in I think it would be very interesting if there is, simply because like we talked, like Matt brought up, like 
if the Lich King could see into the Shadowlands and that's where he got all this information, how to do the Valkyr, how to raise the dead and how to do all this other stuff, then yeah, it would make perfect sense that the, the Venthyr were the model that he based the Blood Princes off of and, and Blood Queen, Lanithel, like, cause they're the only vampires, right? There's no other vampires in the game besides the, the, the elven ones, right? As far as I know. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, remember any others i believe the sand lane are the only ones so i think it'd be i think it'd be perfectly fine and cool for there to be a connection there but we'll see we'll see if that's a question that they deign to answer coming up i hope so we know that we know that there's there's a good deal of stuff in uh revendreth that deals with the venthyr and the sire denethrius and we know kalthos is there i can just tell you that right now that's not not a secret they're not hiding it so it's quite possible that, that the Lich King did it as mockery, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to, to mock Kael'thas after he saw what had happened to him. Maybe not. I don't know. But we'll, we'll find out when we get there, I suppose. All right. Our next one comes from our good friend LD Soth or LDS Soth. I can never remember which way you want it to be pronounced. Let us know. Hello, watchers. I've been doing some thinking about some of the points Matt has made about the power scale of creatures in Diablo, especially regarding the Nephilim. I'm worried that Blizzard has backed themselves into a corner with the power scale of creatures in this game with the Nephilim narrative in the same way Dragon Ball Z did. I love that anime, but once you get got to Frieza, every villain had the power to destroy an entire planet, and the scale of their power became comical. Do you feel Diablo is on potentially the same path? The Nephilim are already godlike in their power. They put down supercharged Malthiel. The power it would take to stop a Nephilim if they ever went evil would push the scale even more, and it would quickly dissolve into absurdity. How do you think Blizzard could avoid this problem and make the stakes high? The only way I can see it working is for them to introduce something in Diablo 4 that forever strips away the Nephilim power from humanity, which doesn't seem likely. Go for it, Matt. You're closer to this than I am, man. One of my favorite comic books is a Legion of Superheroes series collected in trade called The Great Darkness Saga. The Legion of Superheroes, if you don't know, is a group of superheroes from the 30th century. Uh, they, there's, there's a lot of them. First off, it is an actual legion. Secondly, along their membership are beings of living antimatter. Uh, not one, but two Kryptonians from the 20th slash 21st century. Uh, a Daxamite who has basically the same powers as a Kryptonian, a guy who can effectively duplicate all those powers just one at a time, uh, in, in a completely invulnerable phantom, someone with absolute control of darkness. What, what I'm getting at is, they if the Legion of Superheroes showed up, they can basically they can mm-hmm. stomp the Justice League. Um, they're they're crazy powerful, and there's a lot of them. And their best story, the Great Darkness Saga, is one in which they cannot win by power. No matter how strong they are, they can't win because their enemy is Darkseid. And Darkseid is, if you don't know DC Comics, Darkseid is a god. He's an actual god. He's a new god. That's what they're called, the new gods. They're Jack Kirby creations. And as a result, he's not really beatable by force. You can physically beat him up, but it doesn't achieve anything. He'll just be back. And... The story, I'm not going to ruin it for you because I really would love you to go out and buy it and read it. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's one of the best comic book stories ever made. It's right up there with Crisis on Infinite Earths, in my opinion. It's just I, real. I agree, by the way. Continue. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
the end of that story, I, I, I'm going to give you an, a, a, an understanding of the scale here. Darkseid finds the planet Daxum. Again, everybody on Daxum is a Kryptonian level being. They, when exposed to, to any sun more energetic than the, the red sun that Daxum orbits, they gain powers and abilities exactly like Superman's. There are 5 billion Daxamites at the time in the 30th century. And Darkseid takes their planet, controls the entire population of Daxum's mines. Again, 5 billion of them. Moves the planet to a yellow sun and just sends them out into the universe. Five billion of them against the Legion. They don't win this fight by punching Darkseid. That's what you can do in Diablo. Now you're seeing, but Diablo is a game entirely about punching things until they stop moving. And yeah, that's going to happen, but it's gonna, you can definitely create a story where it's not about overwhelming them so much as bringing them down to your level. And then you can punch them. Yep. And maybe when you're done punching them, they're, they're not dead. They just can't win. You've removed their victory condition. And once you've removed a victory condition, it, there's no purpose to continuing the fight for this cosmic entity. Why, why would I stay here and keep letting you punch me in the face when I can leave, but I, won't, I can't win now? I have to come up with another plan. That's easy. You can do that easy. I don't think they even need to address the Nephilim because the Nephilim is, you know, the, Diablo 3 is 30 something years in the past from Diablo 4. The Nephilim might even just be gone. They may have gone off into the cosmos. They may mm -hmm. have gone home, gotten old, and died. We don't. There's we no a million idea. ways. A yeah, million ways to deal with this. I do not see this as a problem. I do not see this as being boxed into a corner in the slightest. Uh, there are so many different ways to deal with it that it is not an issue. But I definitely feel like you can have a fight where it isn't all about you know you get to kill that monster once and for all. I honestly feel like with the prime evils, killing them is at this point has proved to be a non-winning strategy. Yeah, they just keep coming back. We've killed Diablo three times, guys, and yeah, you know what I mean? He doesn't really stay gone. So a condition, a victory condition where it's not about killing them because that's not really feasible is certainly something that they could very easily do. And that's that's my take on how to deal with this problem. Yeah, and, and I'm in the same camp, right? Like, it makes the most amount of sense. The You can do a story where you can still punch things, and like Matt said... But it's about being smart about it. It's about how you present it, how you get to that point. And whether you, you find the scenario or the condition that you have to win, that necessarily isn't brute force. And we're already starting to talk about uncovering ancient secrets in Diablo 4 and lands that we've never seen before uh, and, and places we haven't seen in ages and old foes coming back from, you know, the dip, depths of the waters and everything. There's a ton of places we could go, a ton of things we could see, a ton of things we could use that level the playing field. And yeah, I understand the the concept uh, that, that Ellie's getting at here with... Uh, you know, Dragon Ball Z and how that gets just super ridiculous. The anime effect is real, and I get it, but it's not everywhere, and it's not the first time media has dealt with this particular type of problem. And I think that the writers behind Blizzard are, like, their IPs are smart enough to not back themselves in the corners. I think they know how to do that. So I, I think that if they 
do something like similar to what Matt said, it'd be absolutely fantastic. And I think they could. All right. Our last question comes from Suggle Kitten. Hey, y'all. I just ran Blackwing Lair for the transmog set. There is a room with slowdown gas, and then there is the egg boss. Both are a pain in the butt. Can you tell us why these things? What, can you tell us why these things were like back in the live days? I'm thinking that you're saying what, not why. Uh, awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they took Absolutely forever. Oh, see, do we not have... like today. When people do WoW Classic today, they burn through these fights. Oh, no. We didn't burn through these fights. No. For one thing, here, here's the first thing. I want you to imagine playing Blackwing Lair, doing those those rooms with, with 40 other people who you know could just barely stay alive because the damage going out was crazy high and it just ramped up. Especially for and that, you were all that, level, yeah, that level. You were all level that was 60. the second raid, really. Second full 40-man yeah. raid. Then I want you to understand that there was a certain thing that used to happen back then called massive lag spikes. <laughs> massive lag spikes. You think you know lag today, and you do. You've, you've seen lag. You've had bad lag. I want you to imagine going to like one million latency. Regularly. Just randomly. Yeah, reg- you're like me and randomly. At one point, my raid group, we just all disconnected. My In the middle my, of, of, Ra- of Razor Gore. My main tank for all of, of Classic WoW was a feral druid who raided at two frames per second yeah and <laughs> like i said we disconnected when we came back into the game we were all in westfall yep our ghosts were in westfall at the westfall graveyard we had to run back across the into you know all the way fly. from westfall yeah you couldn't fly you were ghosts you had to run back from westfall all the way to the mountain to run back into the raid to get your body back like that that's that's the kind of thing that happened to us. And then they started putting in code where if you died in a raid like that, your body would just appear outside, like you'd just appear alive at the graveyard, which still meant running back. That wasn't always. It wasn't intended for you to be in Westfall, but it happened quite a few times. Um, in addition to that kind of thing, I, I wanna I honestly the, the the worst fight in that instance, I mean, this isn't even a fight. You mentioned the suppression room. The slowdown gas is the suppression room. The suppression room was like a, a miserable slog to get through. You had to have your rogue yep. going, had to disarm traps. Like the, not, not just the one tra- rogue. You had to have you had to have multiple rogues. Yeah, your rogues would be going forth to, dis- to disarm those things to try and get them down so you could get through the room at something approaching a reasonable time. Well, constantly respawning trash mobs would be like attacking you. And, and then you have to. And if you got to the boss fight, they couldn't participate in the boss fight originally. You couldn't have them engaged in combat because they still had to disable the, the traps during the boss fight. Yeah, until like like my guild came up with a strategy to basically pull him into the very far corner of the room mm-hmm. and have the tanks face the the face him on the back wall, and the entire raid would be behind him in like this very tight space. Uh, and that's that way we can have the rogues can stab him rather than disarming traps, but. If you got knocked back, which he did a knockback, he knocked the tank back. That's why you had to get the tanks right against the wall. If someone pulled threat and then he did a knockback, they would, he would punt you. Literally, there's a ledge that leads down to the first part of the room. If he punted you, he could punt you into that room where all those other whelps and stuff are still waiting because they respawn constantly. So you're dead. And then they're going to come upstairs after they kill you. Mm-hmm. So you could, you could get punted and you could pull the entire room. It was, And it happened. A lot. Oh yeah, 
And that was just that was just one thing. The trash pull after that fight, when you got him down, the trash pull in the next room was so bad. Because you don't you don't understand now doing it now for transmog. You go in there, you just kill everything. And you don't understand. Back then you had to have like my guild had six warriors, all of whom tanked on those mm-hmm. trash pulls. Because we would literally tank like multiple caster mobs would just be tanked. Like they were a boss because they hit that hard. They would one shot like like if a rogue got aggro, that rogue was going to die. Yep, that's why we had certain healers that stayed out of combat, like Restoration Druids back then, just so they could resurrect people that died mm-hmm. because they would die that frequently. Healers couldn't keep up. And so, yeah, that that fight was just the the Razor fight was bad because you had to there was like. Three three things we had to do. First off, of course, was managing the the constantly spawning into the room ads that were coming from different corners. So you couldn't just have somebody stand in a place and which, and tank them. You had a three to tank fight too. Yeah. So you had to do that first off. You had to have somebody who was doing the mind control, and you you couldn't. You had to rotate it too because there was a, yeah, there you was had a debuff. Rot- mm-hmm. Yep, you had to rotate it. Uh, and then there were different strategies for Horde and Alliance. Because at that time, Horde and Alliance did not have the same class composition. Mm-hmm. Paladins and Shaman made that fight very different. Yeah. Uh, Shaman could do a thing called the Earthbind Highway. Yep. Earth, Earthbind Highway worked exceedingly well, but was finicky. Yes. Because you had to have Shaman throughout the room constantly dropping Earthbind totems to keep it, the mobs you know, slowed, essentially, while the tanks got threat. And as, as a warrior trying to tank that fight, you know what I was doing most of the time? I was spamming battle shout because there's a small burst of threat that battle shout creates so you'll be spamming battle shout and then trying to get stuff with thunderclap and then get away from it you could you couldn't stay and tank it you had to run away from it you had to keep moving so that's what that's the horde version earthbind highway alliance version did not have that so they didn't have earthbind so they'd have their paladins uh essentially i don't remember did they have the tanking aura yet I don't think they did. No, but they had um, consecration. They basically, you'd have your paladins, even the paladin healers, especially your paladin healers. Mm-hmm. You'd have your paladin healers basically dumping consecrate on the ground every chance they got at the spawn and, points. Yeah, and then healing just like mad to get healing threat. That's that's where heal tanking started. Yeah, and so they would be running around, you know, setting the ground on fire and just healing, healing, healing until they got threat. And then once they had threat, they had to run. So. But your paladin healers could only heal some of the time, because once they had threat, they could they couldn't stand there. They couldn't they be destroyed. So they had to run around dumping consecrate everywhere, and everybody doing everything they can to slow these guys. Like as a warrior, one of the things I did a lot was um, an ability that I think is coming back, uh, piercing howl. Uh, I think it, actually yeah, piercing, piercing howl may still exist right now, but we'd use piercing howl to slow everybody down because it, it's it's an AOE snare essentially. So yeah, it was. It was not a fun fight. And that was the first fight in the expansion. I mean, not in the expansion, in the dungeon. You, that's the first raid. You walk in the raid, and that's the fight they give you. And you got 40 people trying to hurt them like cats through that encounter. Once you go through that, it was like, okay, the next one, we don't do anything. No, we, we, well, there's lots of mechanics, but we don't, <laughs> we don't run around a lot. Okay, okay, good. It's like... Here's I'm shutting up. Yeah, here's, here's what I'll say about it. It's, it wasn't all bad. I guess um, it was bad, but it was complicated. It was is that's that's it. So it was it was very very complicated. A lot of the big raids during the classic era were 
it was not really about the fight itself. It was about the organizing of the people. So it wouldn't be uncommon to have groups of people assigned to specific tasks in different voice channels on vent or team speak at the time, uh, you know, or Skype, uh, you know, because we didn't have discord <laughs> or mumble at the time. Uh, you would have certain groups coordinating certain things and the mechanics would require precision execution. And it became all about that organization of people. And if you look at all of the fights from the major raids uh, in classic, that's what it was. Uh, whether it was managing the ads on Gar in uh, uh, Moltencore or uh, managing the multiple ads during the, I can't remember the priest fight, the weird sulfuric dude that, that that felt like a trash fight more than a boss fight, managing that. And then you go into Blackwing Lair, and you have all these fights that require coordination, coordination of the orbs and, and managing the mobs and making sure everything was done and wiping repeatedly because if an egg died and it wasn't him that killed it, congratulations, you just yeah, reset. Yep. Uh, or or uh, Neth. Uh, you had the class calls that had to be done exactly right. Or like if you were a hunter, your bow was dead or your gun was dead. And congratulations, you just can't do anything else this fight. Maybe go smack a mob with your hand. Like they required an incredible amount of precision. Um, Instructor uh, Resuvius, you had to have that completely balanced out between the warriors and the mind control and everything else. And it was so complicated. That was how rating was. But and it's like it's like uh, for, for, it's not that rating today is any less complicated. If anything, it's much more complicated. But back then, what site did you have to go to to figure out what you were supposed mm -hmm. to do? Mm -hmm. Thoughtbot. They weren't going to tell you squat on Thoughtbot. Like YouTube. straight up, Thoughtbot was just here's a piece of gear. YouTube, YouTube wasn't a thing. It was just barely a thing. Barely. Like, like I remember when when my guild killed Maxina the first time back in mm -hmm. Nax Forty. We put that video up on YouTube, and it was one of the most watched videos because it was one of the very few videos yep. that anybody had done about it. And we didn't explain the fight at all. We just showed it. But, but even then, imagine just watching a video that is one player's perspective on a Maxina kill, and that's actually helpful because it's the only video you're going to find. That's, that's the world of the original WoW, how it was in WoW. It was very much... You know, nobody knows how to do this, so everybody's dying repeatedly until someone figures it out. Or choosing and, it because we you found a weird loophole, like the Instructor yeah. Resuvius fight. My guild didn't do that with the actual mechanics because we didn't have enough tanks at that point. When we got to Nax, we we learned that five hunters with distracting shot and uh, feign death could bounce Resuvius around the room and completely ignore his tanking mechanic. And that's what we did because nobody told us to do it. We just didn't have a choice. We couldn't get past the fight. And it was the first fight you did in, in that, that raid. Like, that that's what it was like. It was weird coordination, a lot of uh, working together and figuring it out from scratch. And, like, you know, and I remember, like, before we, we have world first races now, that, that was but wasn't a thing back then. Like, there were server races, but once you hit your goal and figured something out, like, I played on Zul'jin back in, in the classic days. And there's a lot of guild people that I interact with that I was never in guild with. We were all in different guilds, but we all shared information. 
And it wasn't because, oh, you know, we need to absolutely be the first and guide and, and keep everything like tight lipped and everything. It was just, there was no one else to tell our, or help. So everybody sort of banded together. So like we get past the fight, Hey, you know, so-and-so from blood red moon, uh, here's how you do this fight, you know, or, or right. here's, here's a way around it. What Joe's describing is not universal. No, not universal. I was on Norganon. Nobody told anybody squat on Norganon. Nobody <laughs> talked. It's like we was us and another guild that were pushing Nax at the time. And if we got something, they absolutely didn't get told how we did it and vice versa. Um, I remember in Blackwing Lair when the, the other guild killed Neff before us. They killed Neff 13 minutes before us. And it was like, you know. Knowing that they had killed him, it was such a big downer for us that we almost stopped. But one of my guys was like, no, we're here. We're here and we have this. We have this in two or three more pushes. Let's just do it. But, yeah, there was – server community was a much bigger deal. And yeah. a much bigger deal than it is even in WoW Classic today. WoW Classic server community is nothing compared to the way it was back then. Um, that we've, we've, we've done articles recently about how the social game of WoW has changed. And one of the ways it's changed that I don't think it could ever go back to was – there was just less stuff online. Mm -hmm. So WoW's fully online-ness was a huge deal. Like the fact that it could basically be used like a chat, it could be used like an IRC server, you could actually play a game together in it, that th you could use it as email. There were like a ton of features to World of Warcraft that like Facebook wishes they had to this day. And th the servers were so strong. Like you, you really don't... Have, your reputation on a server like was an enormous deal. Yeah, it was. You're, you're like, and we talk about like, you know, your reputation in the real world. Your server reputation was so important back then, even especially like going back to the raids, because if you left a raiding guild for whatever reason and were looking for another one uh, on that server, because server transfers were not a thing back then, yeah, and uh, even when they were a thing, it was basically because the server was full. Yeah. They would open a new server in a specific server, and they would tell you, you can go to this server if you want to. Yep. But make up your mind. And so, yeah, it was, yeah, your reputation was enormous. It was a, a huge deal. But uh, I think we covered that. So I, I think, think we're so done. Too. Yeah, I think we're done. So Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, again, guys, if you have a question for the podcast, you can use our Discord server, the Patreon and, and you know, Patreon queue and podcast questions channel. You can email us, uh, podcast at blizzardwatch.com, uh, with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch to be noticed for the show. And, you know, if you have any questions, please, by all means, ask them. We love to answer them. It's, it's a big part of the show and how we do the show. And we, we're, you know, really grateful when, when you guys do and ask us some questions. Uh, but this has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, it's been me and Joe, as, as it is every week. Thank you very much for being here with us. And we'll see you guys next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.